Now, we all know that Martin can metabolise a pint in five minutes, but I bet even he wouldn't turn his nose up at getting free beer delivered to his door. Yes, our friends at Beer 52 are offering our listeners a free case of eight unique craft beers. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF and cover the postage of $5.95. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club. Even Big Mandy is welcome, but not Colin. He's an utter bozo. Each month, members are sent a crate of beer with different themes. Don't like dark beer? Then choose the light option. Comes with a magazine and two snacks, BLT and crumpets not included. Don't be a cockwomble. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF to get this amazing offer. That's www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF. The following podcast contains strong language, like what the actual fuck. Hello there, this is the Reverend Francis Seaton, and you're listening to What the Actual Fuck. <laughs> Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual Hey, what the actual fuckers, and welcome to WTAF, a This Country podcast. Now, first, he's the man who loves eating cereal straight out of the box and specifically grew a beard to catch the leftover cereal crumbs for later. It's Neil. Completely and justifiably true. I do actually eat cereal out of a box. Do you get caught in your beard? (laughs) Well, my beard's not long enough anymore, but yes, yeah, it's there for, for... Wiping up all delicious droplets. (laughs) (laughs) Moving swiftly on. Uh, Our superfan guest this episode is another one of our This Country fans from across the pond in Los Angeles. She is an actress, comedian, and not only a member of one of the most famous improv companies in the world, she also teaches there. Please welcome to WTAF, Julie Brister. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, how is it? How is it in in these weird times? How is it in sunny Los Angeles at the moment? Still sunny. A little too, a little too warm today, but uh, uh, mostly lovely. Uh, warm enough for people to go to the beach and not social distance. So, oh. <laughs> LA is having a problem in that regard. That's exactly the same. That's that's where Sirencester, which is where we are, and at Los Angeles are, uh, are completely the same because no one seems to give a toss about it here either. Right. Like, uh, in my mind, it's like the beat, they're beach people, and then there are the rest of us. So, yeah. like, the beach people are going to do what they want to do. Exactly. We, we just have, have to stay away with... from the beach people. That's what we have to do. Yeah. I, I usually do. I live far from the, I've lived in LA for 14 years. I can count on one hand the number of times I've been to the beach and every time it's been for work. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm not a, I'm not a beachy person. I'm a mountainy desert person. That's fair enough. That's fair That's enough. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, we will get into the whole talk cause I'm, I'm fascinated with, um, 
the whole concept of improv and and stuff like that. Because it's it's the UCB that you um, uh, are joined with, isn't it? That's correct. The uh, Upright Citizens Brigade. Yes, I um, I'm a part of the of the theater. I'm I'm not like the the actual Upright Citizens Brigade are just four people. But the theater, the umbrella of the theater is much, much larger. It's a pretty huge community. And I've been uh, a part of UCB since uh, 1997, so for a really, really long time. So I've seen it go from a very small, scrappy uh, little little theater, or like I've seen them go pre-theater. So before we even had a theater, to our first theaters to uh, uh, to today. So, for people listening to this that don't know what UCB is, how would you describe it? I'd say it's it's a comedy theater. Like um, UCB began primarily as an improv theater, uh, though UCB was doing the UCB themselves were doing sketches uh, and whatnot in the early days. But the sketch program was added a couple of years later. And so now it's more of an all-encompassing comedy theater. There are even stand-up shows. And and it's a massive, massive community, uh, both in New York and in, and in L.A. And in New York, we the UCB had to close um, the theater in New York, but they're they're still going to be performing at like other theaters. They just won't have a home base for now. Uh, but LA is uh, still happening. Right. <laughs> so well, is, even, even as we speak with the oh, Well, only online shows online. There, there have been classes online. Um, so, so yeah, the, uh, they have, they're making it work uh, for what we, for what we have now and the way that we uh, kind of have to uh, think outside of the box in, in terms of how a comedy theater works in a pandemic world. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody yeah. wants to join the UCB, do you, do you apply or do, do you, do you get approached? Does somebody see you and think, would you like to come and join us? Oh no, you're like, this is what happens. You say, gosh, I, I want to take a class. <laughs> And so it usually begins with the school. People, people in a in a level one uh, improv class at UCB, uh, you it's usually a smattering, a great variety of people. Usually, you'll have actors, especially in LA. You have a lot of actors. Uh, you have people who are real comedy fans. Where in the beginning of UCB, when I started, everybody was that. But now, once we opened our theater in LA. Uh, it was very weird. Like I'd find I'd be teaching people who had no interest in comedy. They were, they were taking classes because their agent told them to. And uh, so you have those people, you have people that just moved here. And I think it's a great way to meet new people um, an improv class because it's very tight knit and based on trust. And then you have like a few other uh, people like maybe a, maybe an attorney, you know, maybe somebody who gives presentations and wants to get better at at uh, uh, giving those presentations. You have like normal normies, uh, and then as you progress, like it becomes more and more focused. I think on people who really want to do comedy. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so there are base uh, structure for the school uh, are four levels, 101 through 401. And then after you've completed 401, you have the option to audition for what we call the academy. And in the academy, you're just going into a, a, a deeper form of instruction, uh, learning different forms. Um, uh, and Sketch operates very, in a very similar way. Um, and then we have uh, auditions once a year, sometimes twice a year for uh, our Herald team. The structure that we teach is the Herald. And so our Herald team, we have a big audition usually once a year to create who knows how many teams, however many teams we need. It's massively competitive at this point. In the beginning, everybody was on a team. When I, when I started, everybody was on a team until you weren't. But now there are auditions and we have more talented people than we have slots to uh, put them on stage uh, on, on Herald Night. But there are other opportunities there as well. And we have a very, very active, independent uh, improv scene in LA too, which is great. Really mm. great. Mm. Is improv something you can learn then? Yes, I can teach you the rules of improv. I can teach you how, you know, how to listen and I can teach you how to uh, agree and I can teach you all of the fundamentals that make improv exciting. I can't teach you to be funny, but I can teach you to make choices that are going to be funnier than, than uh, maybe your initial choice. Like, it, like I think you, you see a lot of panic in improv, like you see mm -hmm. a lot of people, especially in the beginning, it's, you're, it's such a, a vulnerable place to be. And I think a lot of people are really fed by the laughter. And, and so they try too hard or they try to be funny, which, which only ends in sadness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I can't, I can't teach you to be funny, but I can teach you to, to follow the, the basic uh, rules to help you get there. And then as you get there, those rules can kind of fall away. Right. If that makes sense. So uh, if you, if you want to take up something like improv, is it, because mm -hmm. I was, I was thinking about it today and thinking that like in a group, you've got to be part of a group, haven't you? But is it in your nature, if you're in part of a group that you want to stand out as well? So you've, it's that fight between being part of a group and being an individual. I think that's a struggle that a lot of performers have, especially uh, especially from 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 actors. Also, like some people can't help it; they're just naturally funny. Like there's a there's just as an example, uh, uh, there's a an actress here in LA called, named Betsy Sidero, who's been on a variety of TV shows. She does a ton of podcasts. Betsy Sidero can't help it. She's going to be funny. And anything she's going to say, anything she's going to do is going to be hilarious. And she's not trying to take focus, but, and, and she's a very supportive player, but your eye goes to her. So there are people who have, chem who have a stage presence who kind of stand out. But in a perfect world, you have a team of eight people who are supporting each other and you are like sharing a brain mm. uh in a way in, in an ideal situation 
everybody should be supporting everybody else and you should be making other people look good. That's the goal. Right, right. So how did your journey into it begin then, Julie? I was an actor and uh, had been, I was an actor who wasn't acting. I was taking, I was in, had been in an acting class for a long time and I would kind of flirt periodically with comedy. I tried stand-up and I did that off and on for a year and I just hated failing alone. And, uh, and then a friend told me about uh, UCB. They had, they had been in, in New York for a few months and, and, and this person also told me about another improv theater called Chicago City Limits which uh, is a short form theater. And this is, I I should have said, this is in New York City. So Chicago City Limits was like way up on the Upper East Side, but UCB uh, was like five blocks from my house. (laughs) So I I went to UCB in this really dilapidated old theater on uh, 17th Street called Solo Arts. It was on the sixth floor of a very rickety building. And... The first night that I went there, I went alone, and there were like two other guys there, and um, and then uh, like a guy in a jester hat, and uh, uh, the show that I saw just really intrigued me. I thought I think that this is what I am supposed to be doing, and so uh, I ended up getting information and taking classes there. And the very first class that I took, it was the very first improv class ever was a workshop for women that was led by Tina Fey, who had just moved to New York, and Amy Poehler had put it together. Um, And so that was really my first introduction to improv, was like doing terrible scenes, because I didn't know anything with all these girls that had been doing it for a little while. And then after, we did improv for about an hour, and then everybody sat in a circle, and they talked about like, like issues specific to women in improv, which that was an eye opener. That was, I had no idea that, that, uh, uh, that women would be othered like within improv. And I didn't have that experience so much. However, I know that it really exists. And especially at that time, and things have really, really changed from then to now in terms of how, uh, uh, how, representation is shown on the stage that makes sense right so so how long into your journey if you like did you decide that you were going to become a teacher or do they come up to you and say look you should be teaching they came up to me by necessity i was really thrown in the pool because i started with ucb in 97 i think it was like later in 98 like it was about a year that they got their tv show that was on comedy central and uh, so they were really busy and they could sometimes like they would, they would shoot their show all week. And then on Saturday, Saturday and Sunday, they would come in and, and take improv, but things started getting more popular. They needed, they needed more spaces. They needed more, uh, more classes to kind of serve the community. And so I was asked to teach in 2001. And I'd been coaching up to that, that point and, and had been very, like, involved, really involved with the theater, uh, performing and, and coaching at that point. 
So can you, when you see somebody, can you tell pretty quickly whether they've got it or, you yeah. know, in regards to somebody that's going to be a company player or somebody that's going to like, you know, this, this, the, the capture the stage, if you like. Yes. Yes. I mean, you've also see people grow into it, but I've taught, like I, I taught Betsy. I knew, I knew from the first day that I saw Betsy that, that Betsy would be a star, right? You know, um, uh, and there's a there's like several. Pe- I had Aziz Ansari in class. Right. Um, uh, I've had a variety of. of I had uh, Ellie Kemper in class in New York. Um, I mean, a lot of people have gone through the system. Mm. Uh, started in class, just like me. So. Uh, I've really watched a lot of people like go on to do great things, which is, which is fun. Mm. Apart from yourself, Judy, who else do you think is like at the top of the game on improv? Uh, uh, I don't know that I'm top of the game, <laughs> but, uh, but, but thank you. Um, like the, the UCB themselves are, are, are wonderful improvisers. Uh, Amy is a, is a fantastic improviser. When I was starting, I will say this, when I was starting out and ASCAT is the uh, flagship show of the UCB theater. And I would see these ASCATs in at solo arts uh, when I started improvising. And I was already like, I was already, I was in my thirties. Like, uh, and I would be sitting on the floor with all these kids in this unair conditioned sixth floor, really shitty theater. And at that time, like Tina Fey, I saw Tina. Uh, uh, there's a wonderful comedian um, uh, and, and writer who uh, at the time worked for uh, Conan, who now is at um, the Stephen Colbert show, this guy named Brian Stack, who's incredible. All these guys who, who came from Chicago, who knew the UCB in Chicago, who then eventually moved to uh, LA, John Glazer. Uh, Brian McCann, um, uh, Tina, like all of these people to me are the best, still in my head, the best improvisers that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Like joyful. Oh, Brian's, uh, Brian's wife, Miriam Tolan. Like those are the people that inspired me and continue to inspire me. And mm-hmm. they're all still doing it. They're all still working. They're all still being funny people. It's when when you watch things well in this country and in America when you watch things like The Office and Parks and Rec and Thirty Rock and all things like you you don't realize until you start looking on IMDb how many of those people that are in those shows came from improv. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's funny when I started, it was a real party trick. Mm. Like you would go to an audition and they'd ask you to improvise, and it would be like great you go and do something and you'd be, all these other people would be like, what, 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 the, what the hell was that? <laughs> and so you had a real advantage in these auditions uh, in the beginning. And now like improv is so main, it's become so mainstream that I feel like it's just a, another part of your basic acting training. Some people like UCB isn't an acting school necessarily, but I think people kind of think of it in that way because you learn skills uh that are going to help you um 
on stage and on set. Like you, you learn basic fundamental skills that are applicable in the business. And in acting class, and no shade on acting class, I love, I mean, I was a theater major. I, I have done every uh, fruity acting class known to mankind. But acting class, uh, there's a, you have to go through a lot of bullshit before you kind of get to the heart of, of really what staying in the moment means, listening and responding and active listening. Like that is a skill in acting class that I don't think is taught as well as it is an improv. Mm. Uh, mm. Like listening, active listening is a real skill. And uh, an improv without listening, you don't have anything. And so that's, a, that I think, improv definitely has an advantage in that regard mm. well let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this country because um i'm we've had a few um guests from the u.s and i'm always fascinated how a they see the show and b what just their relationship with the show because we've always said we think that it's a very british show because well we 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 live literally in the time that it's supposed to be set in so it how did you first, how did it come on your radar? I had seen something on Twitter and then, uh, God, what's his name? There's a, a writer and a showrunner named Jim Gavin who did a show on, uh, that was on AMC here called Lodge 49 that I loved. And then he had posted something about this country. I was like, okay, I had seen it on Hulu because I don't have a traditional television. Okay. I watch TV. <laughs> I watched TV on my computer. I've watched TV on my computer for 10 years. So I, uh, I go on Hulu. I sat down and I just inhaled. I inhaled the show like those first two seasons in a day. And, and yes, it is a very British show, but the idea of young people who, who like stay at, who don't leave home, uh, uh, being um, young people in a, in a town or in, or in a village where uh, there aren't that many young people that, that stay like that, that could be anywhere. That yeah. could be, that really is applicable anywhere. I'm, I'll be very interested with, I, I did see that there is going to be an American version. That's right. And I, yeah. I'd be very interested to see where they set it. Um, I think I, I haven't got the, inf- they have said where it's supposed to be set. Uh, Paul Feig is uh, is the the guy oh, behind yeah. it. Yeah, um, is it Kansas or something? Like I think that, it might it? have been something like that. Yeah, I should like have Kansas. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah, going to okay. be very interesting because um, the sort of ratio of good to bad uh, switches from British to UK, um, sorry, British to US uh, shows isn't very good. I think I, I've. I've had quite a bit of um, slack by saying that I think that the American office is better than the the, the original British office. Well, there's it's it's there's more of them. There, yeah, and yeah, I think I think that's that. I think that's to the, the to the the betterment of the story is that you get to know the characters more. And I also mm. think I'm just rewatching right. rewatching the English office, and David Brent is just an ass. He's a complete. He doesn't yeah. care about anybody. Whereas, you know, Steve Carell's character, Michael Scott, loves 
for people that he works with because that's who Michael he thinks Scott are his is friends. Positive. Yeah, yeah. Michael Michael Scott is. You're right. Like like David Brent's a dick. Yeah. And and Michael Scott is uh, an annoying sweetheart. Like uh, uh, there's a lot of of uh, pathos uh, in that in that character. Um, I would I yeah like like it'll be interesting to see what they do. One thing I really love about Carrie and uh, Curtin is that they are there's nothing cruel, not really. Like they're like maybe flashes of of mean that are kind of hilarious and relatable, but for the most part, like Carrie is glass half full and she seems to be more optimistic, and Curtin is is more more of a, a neg but like their their situation is mostly pretty positive like strangely positive and and i can see that going being very negative if drugs or alcohol were involved in their characters i think it's really smart to not make that part of who they are mm. And do you think the whole premise of this country will transfer over? Will the small town America community will it relate? Do you think? I I would hope so. I tell you one thing that's very very different, and you you tell me, like in in that in the village where they film, and I looked it up that the population of that village is like just under two thousand people, right? Yeah. Um. And then, like a corresponding, a corresponding town in the U.S. Like I, like I was like, what ha, what has two thousand people? Marfa, Texas. So Marfa, Texas has about two thousand people. So in that town in in the Cotswolds, if is there just one church? Yeah. Yeah. And in the U.S., there in a town of two thousand people, there could be twenty. Wow, <laughs> and some of those, like, because church in a in a in a in a little town like that is everything. Mm. So some of those churches are going to be like little Spanish language Pentecostal churches, and some of them are going to be like maybe a small little Methodist church with a grain congregation, and then you'd have these massive mega churches that serve a large area where people will drive a long way to get to their church. And, and so that is a major difference. Mm-hmm. And I, I love how compact in uh, the British version, like I love the compactness of, of the vicar and, and the relationship he has with the villagers is something totally unique to the UK. Like that is not, that is, not something you would see here at all. Because I think the one thing about um, Kerry and Curtin, they say it and they go through it a couple of times, is that is their world. The village is their world. You know, when um, in the Vicar's Son episode, when Curtin is talking to the Vicar's Son and he talks about Bristol and he says about the, the real, what's it like out in the real world? It's like it's like Logan's Run. You know, they're only allowed a certain <laughs> a certain area, and then there's nothing past or Truman Show. You know, there's there's actually the, it's a set. Right, there's a yeah. visible wall. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's the thing that fascinates me is the fact that that Kerry says in the in the last episode of series one, I think when Curtin's going to go off and do his GMVQ, is like, why do you want to leave? You've got everything here. We've got a shop, we've got a pub, 
why why would you she's living her best life and it's that mm-hmm. you know i think the the point you make about the church is that you know to have 20 reverend mm. seatons would be wonderful <laughs> <laughs> i don't think they'll all be yeah. like reverend seaton though that's the only do, problem do i mean like reverend seaton he's a, he's sort of like the pillar of the community is that not a thing at all then of any of the priests or vicars or anything in the american community oh definitely like I'm from Texas, so I'm I'm not only am I from Texas, I'm from a really churchy, conservative part of Texas. And certainly church leaders are sort of the pillar, uh, uh, but again, there's just, there's so many. So it's not like one person who, mm. uh, who would have that kind of power and, and influence in a, in a town, like not at all. Maybe like in a Catholic church, um, where like like I lived in also lived in New York City. Maybe like the the bishop or the cardinal. Like like I'm I'm thinking on that scale, but mm. on a smaller scale like that, no, I I, I think that there would be a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Mm. Well, be interesting to see what they do because Sean William Scott is playing the vicar in the. In the American remake, isn't it? Yes. Oh, I ha- I had not seen that. So, I just had Sean a quick William. yeah. I just had a yes. quick look. It's uh, Kelly and Shrub Mallet. That's who Kerry and Curtin Mucklow are going to be. Uh, Kaylee and Kelly and Shrub Mallet. That's their names. Shrub. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't quite roll off the tongue as much as Kerry and Curtin, but Kelly and Shrub. That's quite. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, we'll have to wait and I see. How- I wonder how far they've. I wonder how far they've gotten. Well, it's it's been greenlit for a um, for one episode, uh, to then oh, hopefully so yeah, yeah to, to, they're going to do a pilot and then to hopefully go on to series. But I'm assuming it just depends on how how well the pilot goes. But uh... God, I'd hope they don't fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, <laughs> the, the amount of um, like correspondence we had when it came, they like like. People think we've got some kind of power. Please don't let them do it. Please don't let them make it. But, you know, you don't know. For for every IT crowd and in-betweeners that was terrible, you have The Office, you know. And like I say, I love The American Office. I think it has so much more heart. I know it's 20 episodes a season and it went for like nine seasons, but but I really... You never know. You never know. You yeah, know. I, I really... I enjoyed The Office. Uh, uh, I enjoyed both of them, but I, I definitely enjoyed the American Office. Mm. Yeah, um, uh, I really did. But but yeah, uh, I wonder if do you know what network? I'm sorry to make um, about this. I don't. Let me have a look. See if it says. I don't think it actually. No, hmm. I don't think it's been bought up yet. It says Fox. Oh, oh Fox. Okay. Yeah. How are Fox with with swearing and stuff? Are they all right? <laughs> well, Fox, Fox is uh, like the basic net- network. That, like that's where the Simpsons are. It's not sweary at all, right? But FX, FX, which is the niche, uh, the niche kind of offshoot that's on Hulu, is pretty fantastic, and you can swear all you want. Right, because I think you have to. You, yeah, it doesn't matter if it's English or American. You have to have the swearing because it's not done just for swearing's sake. It's you know, right? It's part of it. Like indeed, it's part. 
it's it's like an appendage. It, 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 absolutely. It is like the, the WTA, like the what the actual fuck. I mean, is that a, is that a saying that the Americans would say? Would they say what the actual fuck? Oh yeah. Oh, that's yeah. okay. Then. What the this, what the actual fuck is is uh, is also is also used quite liberally here. That's good because yeah. the podcast will relate over to America as well, and that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see if we can get some of that Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan Spotify money. That's what I'm looking at. <laughs> oh dear, hundred. Well, you'll have to start. You'll have to like start your supplements. You'll have to have your line of supplements yeah. and your line of of uh, float tanks. <laughs> <laughs> you really have to open it up. <laughs> the business yeah. model. Yeah, commentate on the British version of MMA. See if we can get on there as well, and just <laughs> do all of it. Right before we carry on, we're going to have a little bit of a quiz. So we're we're going to play Kerry or Curtin. I'm going to give you a line of dialogue. You need to tell me if it was Kerry or Curtin that said it. So these are these are all from the first two series. So here we go. Number one, my theory is that he just died and they kept it from us because we were just little innocent children. Was that Kerry or Curtin? Oh, I think that's Curtin. It was Curtin. I haven't got my bell. I was, I'd normally give you a ding there. Ding. Was that about Rob? Is that about Rob Robinson? That is Rob Robinson. Well done. Yes, that's the Mandy episode. Okay, number two. It wasn't a magnet. It was a bookmark with all the queens on it. Harry? That actually was Curtin as well. Oh. That was when he was talking, on Peeping Tom, when he was talking about his uh, trip to Hampton Court with his girlfriend, and Jack Russell right. was uh, doing stuff with her on the back seat of the. Of the that of the is bus. a great that episode. <laughs> indeed, is fantastic. Okay, number three, on a date, you've got to tell them all the interesting stuff about you because that's what they'll be interested in. Curtain. That is curtain. That's right. That's the peeping Tom episode when his his date with Kaylee. So that's two out of three. Yeah. You're doing well. Two more to go. Sometimes it has to be bad to be good again. Harry. That was Curtin as well. That was the vicar's son Ooh, when he's talking. Really... <laughs> We're going full Curtin. Uh, that was when he's talking to the vicar at the end after they've just yeah. uh, helped uh, Jacob, who's uh, drunk out of his head. The last one. Another, so you're on... another heartbreaking episode. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Especially that scene. When he says, no, yeah. I want to thank you, although I don't know what it is that you actually do. I think that's a lovely line. Uh, so you're two out of four so far. Last one. It was obvious there's no computer bit with this. It was obvious there's no computer bit with this. Curtain? It was Curtain, yes. <laughs> Threatening <laughs> letters when he went and bought Mandy's PC for 50 uh, yeah. quid and it was just the monitor. So they were all Curtain. <laughs> I, I did... Uh, yeah. uh, I, a bit slippery there, but there you go. Three out of five, that's very good. That's very respectable. No, thank you very much. Uh, uh, Carrie is... is Carrie's hilarious, but there's so much visual humour... With her and Curtin, Curtin is so philosophical. <laughs> so, like, uh, he has he has um, he has some great great lines. Great, I'll, like, I'm curious as to how much is improvised. Um, um, very little. 
Yeah, Very yeah. Little. I think a lot of it is on the page. Um I don't think I think the one thing with their style is it's it's very loose their style and you feel like the majority of it has just been made up but I think from, from talking to them I think the the majority of it is on the page. Yeah, like sometimes like most of the time when when I work on a show where we improvise yeah you have you have a script and then you have takes where you improvise and sometimes like little moments make it in. Mm. But uh, I don't know. I think, I think the show is so brilliant because it's the perfect mix of, of comedy and heartbreak, you know, mm. which is a really, really wonderful, wonderful combination. Julie, apart from Kerry and Curtin, then, do you have a favorite character? Oh, I love the vicar. I love Mandy. I love June. It's like, what is this? What is the source of the agita <laughs> between between Curtin and June? Like, because uh, I even went back and started watching again from uh, I rewatched the pilot and I caught things that I missed the first time, like uh, like June's minion scarecrow. Yes. <laughs> I didn't realize that was June, and then she comes back over and over and over again. Less, yeah. So, have have you seen the special and series three yet, or not? I have. You have. I, yes, it did some digging. The special was easy to find. Third season was a little harder, but I have I have seen it all. Don't arrest me. Right? No, no, no. So, so what did you think? <laughs> what did? Were you happy with the with the, the final outcome of it all? I took the third season, and I was just like. Instead of like binging it, I just tried to make it last. And so that last episode I watched over the course of two days <laughs> because I didn't want it to be over. I was so sad when it was over. Uh, I thought it was tr- I thought it was just a, a, an amazing every season was great. There was no like they really ended it at the at the top of their game because it was it was such a joy. Mm. And have you got a particular favorite season? Uh, I, I, I loved that special. The uh, I really the the courtroom drawings, <laughs> the, the artist represent. Also, the art whoever did the artwork for uh, Mandy's tattoo flash. Oh, that was just just amazing. Um, I really love see like I loved season one. Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite. Like like each season, like I felt like uh, they went deeper into like exploring um, <clears throat> the heartbreak as it went on, especially between Carrie and her dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that I have like an actual favorite, but I, the whole thing was was just such a treat. How about you? What's your favorite? I, I, I for, for me, it's series one. I think, I think now looking back on it as a whole, I think still series one for me. But they're yeah, they're, they're all such a high bar. It's not like you know. I think that a certain se- season is the worst one. It's that they're all up there. It's just by a small gradient, one is better than another. But it's very close. I tell you one thing that I really loved was watching Curtain. Curtain in that first in the in the pilot is such a pill 
and is is such a little shit. And to watch him grow, the way to watch him kind of grow and mature to the end was really, really something. Mm. Um, it's really, really satisfying. Like yeah. uh, to see that happen. Carry not carry a joy doesn't grow as much, but uh, uh, still just riotous. Oh, absolutely. What about Martin Mucklow then, the shit house himself, Julie? <laughs> ah. He's a psychopath. Mm. Uh, uh, the Peeping Tom episode is brilliant, is just hysterical. I did see online, I did like, like just out of Googling and out of curiosity, I did see that, that he uh, does work helping people who are hoarders. That's right, yeah. yes. And that, like, oh, like, what, what an amazing, what an amazing uh, uh, chosen profession, because that's, he's somebody who has chosen to help people, and mm-hmm. I think that's really inspiring. We've said it a million times that, that I don't think there's a character and a person that is as far away from the person that they play, if you know what I mean. I mean, Martin Mucklow is, that, 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 that point in that episode i can't remember which episode it is where he's telling kerry that he stood over her in her cot and and it was so dark you know, like, you know i had the pillow in my hand and i was ready i thought oh my god that's just and the look on kerry's face of like she says to him it's all right dad it's all right and the, but Mark, but paul uh cooper their dad who plays him is one of the nicest people you will ever meet in your life Oh, I'm sure he'd have to be doing mm. what he did. Like he, I'm, I'm sure, and I'm sure he's also hilarious because his kids are. Uh, the scene in the, I think it's in the, uh, I think it's in the peeping tom scene where Curtin says, you know, Carrie's like a dog. The <laughs> kicker is like a doggy kick, and she just comes back wagon, and you think that it's a confessional, yeah. and then they pan, and Carrie's right there, like I died. I think yeah. at that point, I was like, I never want this show to not be in my life. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> like I just, just freaking died. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, so, um, obviously, now that we're in these these strange times. Um, how has it been for you regarding the lockdown? Are you able to sort of do? I mean, with being an actor and that, are you able to like do of your own some of your own projects and things like that? Well, yeah, like I, I, I I've actually done a, a couple of improv shows on Zoom, and they were fun. Like I had a gr- I had a great time. When the lockdown happened, I was in the midst of shooting a show that I work on called Goliath uh, that's on Amazon, uh, on Prime. So our production shut down and we're just kind of in a holding pattern, but we will go back because we were about halfway completed. Mm. But we will go back at some point at the end of the summer or in the early fall um, uh, to finish that. So... Before the quarantine happened, I was taking, I was working on a screenplay. So I have finished that. I'm about to start a pilot class. Like I'm trying to take classes and trying to be productive and creative however I can. Mm. Uh, I live alone. So, so uh, quarantine like is no, is not that different from the way I normally live. Um, 
but I'll be happy when I can leave the house and like go to a restaurant again. Yeah. How about you? It's it's not. Too, I'm 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 lucky in a way in the fact that I've got a lot of my family living with me at the moment, which was lovely to start with. Now it gets a bit of a pain. <laughs> Uh, but I'm on, uh, yeah, we're, I'm on furlough at the moment, so I'm I'm at home and uh, uh, and but it's nice, like you say, you know, the house has never been cleaner, uh, the garden's looking the nicest it's ever been. So it's 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 weird. Oh, yeah. You have to you have to try and make this. It's weird what you say as well because myself and and Neil have been working on a um, like an, an audio comedy kind of thing. And um, I'm just putting the finishing touches to the first episode and um, just like the first draft of the first episode, then I'm going to pass it over to Neil and Neil can do some stuff on it. So that sort of stuff where we didn't have time to do it, it's weird that you can make yourself a bit of time and, and work on stuff like that that you wouldn't normally be working on, which is which is quite nice, really. Yeah. yeah. Neil? Whereas, I've, whereas I've just been working still. So. Oh, you're still... Uh, you're still... Yeah, he's part time. of the front line, bless him. Yeah, I'm the front line crew, so I've been flat out since all this has been on. I'm, I'm longing just for some proper days off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I bet. Oh, that's Well, thank you for doing what you're doing. Oh, bless you. It's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Although you are knackered, mate, aren't you? I am physically knackered, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it'll be all right in the end. But don't, end of the year, the yeah. knighthood will be in the post, mate. It'll be Sir Neil. You'll get that from the Queen, I'm sure. Again. Again, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny thing because, like, I'm very well rested. But I have friends that are working full time and have small children. Mm. And I feel, I feel for them. Yeah, yeah. I really feel for them because like, this is so, di- that is so different from my own personal experience. I'm like, Ooh, an opportunity for personal growth. <laughs> and they are, like you said, knackered. They're exhausted. Yeah. yeah. Well, it'll all, it'll all be good in the end. Indeed. And all we can yeah. do is we can thank, thank all the people that are putting their lives at risk for us. And, and it makes it all the more frustrating when there are people that are not taking it that seriously. But we're not going to get political. We're not going. We're not going to go down yeah. that way. But you know, sooner or later, positive. things will get back to some kind of normality. And also, the positives, Julia. We're going to get to see your script now. When it gets oh, better. exactly. I hope so. Can I you can you so. tell us anything about it, or would you rather not say? In uh, true Hollywood I'll, fashion, I'll, I'll save it for another time. Okay. <laughs> As long as you promise now, on as we're recording, that when it's made and you're on the red carpet for the Oscars, the day after you come and do a podcast with us and tell us all about it. Okay, it's a deal. Right, that is now legally binding because we've got it on tape. Well, not tape, you know what <laughs> yes. I mean. Is it? <laughs> yes, it's yes. on digital. Yes. I'm a, a deeply ethical person, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've made the deal. Awesome. So, one more question, Julie, about this country. Would you yeah. like to see a this country movie? Oh, hell yes, hell yes! I was listening to the the episode that you did with um, the producer with Simon uh, Mayhew Archer. Archer. That's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was listening to that, and and you said, "What about a, a Christmas movie?" I was like, "Oh, oh, that would be incredible! That would be amazing." Mm. Um, I would, I would definitely enjoy a film. Mm. You know, I would love to see these characters again. I would also like to see what they would do next. Yeah. What 
what uh, Daisy and Charlie uh, well, we have in what, store next. We know what Daisy's going to be filming. She's doing another sitcom um, with Tim Key, isn't it? Yeah. The the uh, Witchfinder. Uh, the Witchfinder about a witch and a witchfinder. Yeah. So they've got a comedy coming. Obviously, that's on pause at the moment. Yeah, it's basically like Midnight Run, but set in the, the times of the Witchfinders, yeah. Oh, so interesting. That could oh, be, be that could be interesting. Yeah, I'm not quite sure where that stands because like, they were supposed to be filming that in February. So I don't know whether they yeah. they did. But Daisy's now expecting a second baby. So whether or not that'll be yeah, completely shelved for now, I don't know. But but yeah, that's. I think it's it's going to be interesting to see what because they've they've always said that they'll only write with each other. They won't sort of, you know, that's their dynamic. That makes me happy because, like, back to improv, like. Uh, however much that they uh, improvise, like it doesn't really matter. Their chemistry is everything yeah. because they are so, they are siblings and so connected to each other and, and um, have a shorthand with each other. And so anything they do together, I'm down for because they're so special. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting to know what's going to happen in the future, and and obviously the the, the US version of this country, and uh, and whatever else it is that you're in, Julie, we'll be gladly can't wait for you to see what it is. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you. Thank wow. you. It was totally a, a delight. And thank you for having me on. I enjoyed meeting both of you. Well, thank you very much. Please stay safe. And if you ever find yourself on holiday in the Cotswolds, let us know and we'll give you the This Country tour. We'll take you down. I absolutely yeah. will. I would be delighted. We'll take you down to the I'll Keepers and we'll buy you a pint and we'll have a go on the fruity and everything. <laughs> oh, I'd love it. Thank you. <laughs> so absolutely. thank you very much, Julie. Neil, do you want to do your little bits and pieces? Yes, absolutely. You can find us on all the social media platforms under WTAF This Country. We have a website where we have everything on it uh, for your perusal that's wtafpodcast.com and don't forget you can email us for anything you'd like to know or just chat to us at wtaf this country at hotmail.com wonderfully done neil that's like you've been practicing that now very good and you can also come and support us on patreon patreon.com forward slash wtaf come and become a patreon bozo uh you can there's loads of different things all on there patreon.com forward slash WTAF. Please come and help support the podcast. Thank you once again, Julie. Thank you. Thank Thank you you once again, Neil. Thank you, pal. Thank you. And thank you very much, everybody. And go and get plumbed, you fuckers. Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What? The actual fuck. Hi, I'm Pav. I'm Neil. We're here to tell you about our new exciting project, the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Phenomenal. That's right, Neil. We grab a guest or two, pick a subject, then bring our own Top 10s to the pod. Yes. It could be Top 10 scary movies, Top 10 swear words, Top 10 breakfast foods, anything. Oh, you saucy devil. Indeed, Neil. Our first episode will be online very soon, so subscribe on all your usual podcast platforms so you don't miss it. Yes. The Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's begin the countdown. Phenomenal. Phenomenal.